currency can be manufactured. Is that legal? Well, it, as long as you're manufacturing a non-governmental currency, it's legal. Well, let me, let, me, let me go to something far simpler than cryptocurrency and work my way up. One of the earliest forms of currency that we see as currency was not metal or paper. It was shells, cowrie shells. Cowrie shells, huh? What is a cowrie shell? Cowrie shell is a small shell. It's about the size, uh, the typical ones that were used for money, about the size of your thumb from the joint down to through the thumbnail. Yeah, about a thumbnail size. So maybe a little bit bigger. Shiny on one side and open on the other side. And they're found in the Maldives or Maldives Island. Maldives. Maldives Island. Islands. They're found in the Indian Ocean, but they're not really common. Uh, there's some found in other places around the world, but they're not a real common shell. Now, where they're really common, they're not worth very much. But what happened is they began to be used as currency across Africa because we're on the African shorelines. You couldn't find them. So they began to use as currency, and matter of fact, Native Americans used them as currency because they're relatively rare on the American shores. And, and, and cowrie can be spelled two ways: c o w r i e or c o w r y. So you can you can look those up and, and see them. They they had the convenience in that they're very durable. They're convenient sized. You can matter of fact, they're often strung into necklaces to show how wealthy a person is. In in and not prehistoric times. Actually, in the 19th century, they were still being used across Africa. And they're still fact, people. Sl- they're still using still them used in, some in Central Africa. Yeah, um, and that's what I'm saying. Mali, it's nearly an official currency right there. You, you, and there's places in Mali that you cannot use the government currency. You have to use cowrie shells. It's cowrie the shells longest are, are some- fully in use currency period on the planet. It goes back, and cowrie shells. We we've. we've got evidence of cowrie shells that were taken from Africa in North America that came across with the land bridge. So this, there's not a lot of evidence of that, but it's there, which means that the, the trade, it did probably was not very fast trade, but the trade took place across continents. And it was, the trade is based on, it's easier to carry around these shells than to carry around, for instance, chickens. I'm going to buy uh, uh, that deer from you with these three chickens, or that's not a very nice trade, but it could be. Instead, you've got a, a handful of cowrie shells. Usually it's made into some form of jewelry, and it's still currency in parts of the world. And you can go dig it up and make the jewelry yourself, and you can go and use it to buy stuff. And Mali is one of the places that it's still near official in its currency level. Okay, so come forward. Then we moved on from cowrie shells to something that was rarer, which is uh, precious metals. Harder to get, takes more time to pull it out of the ground. And then the the government of whatever nation or city-state or whatever would plant the seal of it, either somebody's face or whatever. A head or a tail is on these coins. And the, the word defacing the currency comes from scraping bits of metal off of the face so that you could eventually melt down more, more metal into coins. So you defaced it by scraping the face off the coin for that metal. 
So that we still use that. Don't deface the currency. Like we're not scraping any faces off a dollar. What? But we still use that word. Okay. Come forward a bit more. Now governments are saying, hey, you can't make currency yourself. We're controlling the quantity. We're controlling the supply of the money. We're going to say we're not going to allow more than a certain amount of our money in circulation. Um, Sir Isaac Newton had a, a lot to do with this at the Bank of England when he was uh, exchequer of the mint. Um, he helped come up with the rules that still define what central banks do. And, and basically, the central bank and the government of a, comp- of a country are trying to control how much currency is, is in circulation so you don't get too much, that's inflation, we were just talking about that, or too little, which is deflation, which is a lot more dangerous. That's something it, it, we would have to spend quite a bit of time on that, but that's a very dangerous thing. It means that your mortgage gets more expensive every year, even if the interest rates don't change, because the dollars that you're using into it are worth more, which means you're getting paid less of them, but you still have a 30-year contract to pay this thing back. All right, cryptocurrency is this concept where you encrypt your ledger books. So if you've got a bank statement and you and it's absolutely official and you could show this as a, as a, uh, a badge to people and say, look, I have this much money in the bank, therefore you can cash my check. Let's, let's say that that was a thing that could actually happen. That's kind of what cryptocurrencies are in that the ledger, the statement is being encrypted and you can show it to people and they know you have the money. That means you don't have to have them hold your check for two weeks to make sure it cashes. It doesn't bounce. So this is the blockchain and the encryption portion of it is the cryptocurrency. The fact that, that you can verify immediately that somebody has the currency that they claim to have that means it, it is immediately yours. Okay, that's not backed by any government. It is simply a bunch of people that got together and said, we all agree that this thing has value because I want to pay for it. I will buy it from you and you will buy it from me. That's what all currencies are. Cowrie shells, governmental currency, or cryptocurrency is that we all agree it's worth some money. What we agree it's worth changes which is why central banks exist and they help their, whatever country they're with or, or in the European Union's case, the whole block of countries. They're saying, all right, we're backing this to keep some of the fluctuations in pricing out of it. When you look at the, the history of cryptocurrencies, the, the huge amounts of ups and downs in what they can buy makes it hard to use it as money. So it's really being used as a commodity. People are trading it more for itself than for its ability to buy or sell things. Okay, I know that's, that's all kind of background. So it's totally legitimate to come up with this currency on your own, just like cowrie shells, you could go and find them and make them into jewelry, and now you have money. It's not backed by some government saying, yes, we guarantee this is worth something or we'll trade it for something. Okay, so the big issue there. He's using a government computer to enrich himself. That's a big no-no. It's legal to create a currency as long as you're not saying it's a government currency. And does it have value? It could. And it looks like you have something you want to add to this. So so I'll stop my monologue for a second. It's important to throw in here. It is like cowrie shells, only if there were only so many cowrie shells created in the world. 
And Bitcoin, for example, uh, the encryption of the Bitcoin is a number that has to be found. And it's a difficult job. It's becoming more and more difficult to find. It takes huge banks of computer and huge computers, which is why uh, Elon Musk has stopped taking Bitcoin for cars because he realizes that the environmental damage is being done by Bitcoin mining. The point is that there's only so many, if you if it was cowrie shells instead of Bitcoins, there's only so many cowrie shells in the world. And you got to hunt for them. You're shaking your head no. Yeah, because that's the theory and the white paper on the cryptocurrency on Bitcoin, for instance, that there's a limited number. You can never get above this number of Bitcoins. The problem is that you've got nine decimal points in the Bitcoin. So once you reach that max, they still get, it's nearly an infinite supply of Bitcoin. And on top of that, there are other cryptocurrencies. There's no limit on the number of cryptocurrencies. It's just which ones are popular. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, the, the point is that when Bitcoin, Bitcoin first came out, it was relatively a person with five or six computers in their house running off regular household current could actually manufacture Bitcoin. Right. And they were valuable. Now it takes huge banks of computers working for many, many hours to find a single Bitcoin. Of course, the price of Bitcoin has gone up too. But the, point, the issue is it's getting really, really hard to find them. There, there may not be a finite number, but they're really hard to find at this point. Yeah, and well, the, it's capping out, algorithm. which is why the price is going up, which means that each, if you go out to the ninth decimal point, that's coming up to the value of an original Bitcoin at this point. That one saying is, way, way out to the ninth decimal point. But finding a single Bitcoin is really hard to do right now and takes a tremendous amount of computing power. That's why the new the new various currencies are starting up. By the way, an interesting point, most of the currencies that have started up recently have no currency value whatsoever. Nobody's even pretending to use them as currency. They're just make up a new cryptocurrency and people start buying it. And that's the point Do I was saying. There's Dogecoin always example. Dogecoin, yeah. The, you, there's a constant ability to make a new type of cryptocurrency. So does it have, the, the last part of that question I think was a good one, does it have a place in the economy? Yes, it does. The place in the economy it has, right now, it's mostly filling black market space. But there's some other good reasons to have a currency that you can trade across uh, government lines, for instance. Um, if, if you're going to Europe for a vacation, and when you get to Europe, you want to convert your dollars into euros. Well, there's some pretty exorbitant fees if you get it done at the airport. Those are some pretty expensive places to have your money changed over. You can go to the corner store and get it changed there. But again, you've got a massive fee on there. But if you buy a Bitcoin and then convert it to euros, the fees are much, much lower. So there's some, there's some efficiency that's going in the conversion of one currency to another. The problem with it is, and this is, this is something that isn't going to be a problem forever, is that it's supposed to be anonymous, that who owns it is an unknown. But it's kind of like if you're carrying your phone around and Google knows that there's a phone that's going around a certain area, and it knows that you made a purchase at one store and then at another store, it can figure out which phone is you, even if it's totally anonymous, even if nobody knows whose phone is what, all it needs is a couple of transactions and it knows, oh, nope, that's, that's Jake McClure right there that's wandering around. 
the metadata isn't just the data that's being held in the Bitcoin. It's also in the blockchain, which, as I said earlier, it's open. Everybody can see the transactions. Now, they can't tell who the person is that owns that account and the other account. They just know those two accounts. But if you've got a couple of reference points, it's not anonymous anymore. Suddenly, people know this is who's going on. And there's a great example of that. Several of the the coin exchange places, the the places that allow the trading of cryptocurrencies, have tracked um, profitability of dark side. Those are the folks that put the the ransomware on the colonial pipeline over the last week, week or two, uh, and they got paid in cryptocurrency. Well, that cryptocurrency left one account and went to another account, and then to another account, and then they got moved around to other accounts after that. And we know which accounts they went to. We don't, on the surface, know who owned them, but all it takes is a couple of transactions and we can find that out. So these, these exchanges are able to say, yep, this is dark side. So it's not anonymous anymore. And it's going to be less and less anonymous. So this is an important thing. If you are into cryptocurrencies and you think it's anonymous that you, enough that you don't need to pay taxes on your gains, expect to be surprised in a very negative way because... There's enough algorithmic approaches now that people are being able to determine who owns what cryptocurrency and what the gains were on them. So just and go ahead federal, and proactively pay your tax on it now because it's going to be worse if you don't. The federal court has required the IRS to serve subpoenas on crypto exchanges to find out who is trading those currencies. And as a matter of fact, I suspect we'll see laws uh, before very long They don't coming up that'll say that cryptocurrency exchanges will have to collect social security numbers and all the other yeah, stuff that absolutely. banks have to collect. Just the same way that we're, we're making foreign banks, if they have any U.S. citizens as customers, we're making them provide that to the IRS as well because we want everybody to pay taxes because I don't want to have already, to pay more taxes because somebody didn't pay theirs. There's already foreign exchanges that won't do business with American citizens. And of course, people are sneaking around and pretending not to be American citizens and doing business with the foreign exchanges. But when they do so, they violate federal law. And sooner, and there's, there's one in Mexico, for example, that the IRS is going after and the State Department is going after it fine because there's, they're claiming that there are no Americans trading on there. But in fact, they're seeing traffic in the United States to them, which indicates that Americans are trading on there. And eventually that'll come out. Yeah. I would not want to be the people who are trading illegally cross-border money laundering. Right. So that's money laundering and that's a felony. Right. So is there a use to, for cryptocurrencies? Yes. It does make transactions across national boundaries faster and cheaper. But the real cryptocurrency advantage is when the governments have their own. When they have some form of a blockchain where they can organize how money is being transferred. And that's happening this year. The Federal Reserve is doing a same-day wiring. They're talking about the, the crypto dollar, which is just wrapping it into a blockchain system. It's not like a peer-to-peer thing where you manufacture it. It's still manufactured by the banks, but it's being a, a much faster way of, of transmitting money. It'll still be done at the bank level. So Will cryptocurrencies be what we use in the future? Yes. Will we call them cryptocurrencies long-term? Probably not. We're just going to call them dollars or yuan or, or yen or whatever else. It's just going to be money. I'm old enough to remember when 
credit cards first came out. Bank AmeriCard was the first one to come out. And the general purpose credit card that came out with magnetic strip on it was something really weird. That was the beginning of digital currency. We already have digital currency. As a matter of fact, the majority of transactions in the United States, vast majority, have nothing to do with cash or checks. They're done digitally, and the little digital encoding on the back of your card, if you have a, if you, for example, have a card with a $25,000 limit on it, you're carrying around $25,000 in your pocket, effectively. And that is linked into a system. You can't raise or lower the value of the dollars that are in there. But that is that was a major departure from the way we used to do business. And it caused a lot of confusion, and a lot of people were upset about it at the time, thinking the government was going to take over, the banks were going to take over. In fact, the banks right now know more about you than you want them to know, probably. If you use your credit card, they know everything you do. They know where you are. They know what you spent and where. And somehow we've still maintained our privacy to a greater degree than we had it even back then. The point is, things are going to change again, and we will eventually have a crypto dollar, I think. The yeah, Chinese I mean, it should be this year. Crypto. It's this year. It's well, already in, in the works. The crypto yuan is being worked on by China. The crypto dollar is being worked on by the United States, and we'll eventually have them, but they simply will be a more secure, faster way to transfer dollars around. And just like the digital dollar, you're actually safer using a credit card online, by the way, than you are using cash in the store. This, this, is, this is something that's kind of hard to get across to people. The dollars that we use today are already sort of a cryptocurrency. Yeah, they're digital and they're encrypted. So when you log into your bank on your website, there's a little thing that appears on the, in the address bar, the HTTPS. That S means it's encrypted. If it has a little lock bar, a lock next to it, it's encrypted. So your money's already in an encrypted vault. It's just encrypting the actual currency. Well, and, and the collapse in the value of the cowrie shells took place in the mid-1600s when a, a Dutch exploration found a desert uh, where there used to be an ocean that was just crammed miles across and probably a mile deep with nothing but cowrie shells. And the first ships that got, that got back to the Netherlands made a massive amount of money, and the last ships that got there lost everything because the whole ship, you know, all the expense of going there and back didn't get paid for with the, with the cowrie shells. So it's a supply and demand issue only until the supply goes really, really big. And that's kind of a similar thing that we're seeing here. I expect at some point you'll see a bit, uh, not a Bitcoin, but a, a crypto coin crash. Because there's so many crypto coins coming out that have no use whatsoever, no practical use whatsoever. They're just collectibles. Right. And, they're there, and, and the people are buying them because they go up and eventually they'll go down. Yeah, and and we've already seen several crashes in in the cryptocurrency market. Well, I wouldn't expect one as long as we have this much cash sitting on the sidelines, but I would start to expect them when we're getting to the to the end of the period where the Federal Reserve is just dumping money into the economy. And we're about a out of time for this hour. There's not enough time in an hour to cover cryptocurrencies appropriately. There's either too much or not enough. This podcast is called The Personal Wealth Coach, and that's also the name of an SEC-registered investment advisory firm based in Salado, Texas. Now, the fact that it's registered with the SEC doesn't mean that the SEC approves or disapproves of anything, neither, neither does the secretary, whoever the secretary is, and this tape will destruct after it's listened to. 
You the, just dated yourself. This tape will destruct. Your podcast tape is about to self-destruct. That's why you can't find the tape in it anymore. <laughs> it already has self-destructed because it's too old. And uh, the information that we do present in this podcast, we get from sources we think are very reliable, but we don't make any guarantees as to the completeness or the accuracy of that reliability or anything else. We just do the best we can. The information that we're providing during this podcast is not considered investment advice. This information is educational because investment advice means that we know exactly who's listening and we can custom tailor all of our advice to them. This has been The Personal Wealth Coach.